Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36, and it's on page 982. It's entitled, The Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Second reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 12 to chapter 4, verse 2. And it's entitled, The Greater Glory of the New Covenant, on page 1095. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Amen. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. So we're really pleased to have with us this morning uh, Canon Sue White. Uh, who's going to bring us some reflections on that. And are you happy if we pray with you? That's okay. Father, we thank you for bringing Sue here this morning. We thank you for 
the thought and uh, preparation that she has put into this. We pray that you would bless that and that you would open our ears to hear what she has to say. And uh, pray that your hand would be firmly upon her this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for the invitation to be with you this morning and to reflect on this morning's uh, readings with you. I perhaps should say I have this um, rather grand title, which isn't at all grand, and that is that I'm Rural Dean for Born Deanery. It simply means that I have a special care for the churches of the Lordsbridge team, of the Papworth team, and for you here in Camborne. So it's very special to be here. And just also uh, to say, to, to really uh, reassure you that there are others in the deanery and beyond who will be continuing to pray for you as you continue uh, in your search for whoever it is who is the right person to come here to be your next minister. So let's pray again a moment. Loving God, may these spoken words be faithful to the written word and lead us to the living word, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I want to focus this morning on that reading that we've just heard from 2 Corinthians, a reading in which we hear a remarkable promise, the promise that we will be transformed to become more Christ-like. In, in many versions, uh, this is written, as Paul described it, as being changed from one degree of glory to another. We heard this morning, being transformed with ever-increasing glory. What a promise. I guess many of us long to be changed in some way. There are so many self-help books around offering on advice on how to become happier or more resilient, or to sleep better, or to have more friends. The list is, is endless. And I certainly think there is a place for these books, certainly as they help us to under, understand ourselves better and to understand others better. But that's not the kind of change that we're thinking about this morning. This isn't change that's brought about by our own efforts. This is change that happens when we choose to put ourselves regularly in the presence of God, meeting with God, knowing the glory of the risen Christ. It is a remarkable promise of transformation. Perhaps we long to be changed instantly, now, to be made more faithful, more patient, more generous, less judgmental, whatever is uppermost for us to become more like Jesus. And Paul reassures us that such change is taking place, but not in a rush, not instantly, but slowly, gradually. We are being transformed into a reflection of God's glory, but one degree at a time. To understand more about this, Let's look at verses earlier in the passage. Paul refers to the story of Moses that's found in Exodus 34. 
Each time after Moses had met with God, when he returned to the people of Israel, he was radiant with the reflection of God's glory. He would then veil his face. This wasn't because the people couldn't bear to look on the reflected glory of God. It was, as Paul writes, to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. The veiling was to prevent the people seeing the reflection of God's glory from fading. Paul's saying something amazing to the first century Christians in Corinth and to us. He's saying that we have the opportunity to know the glory of the Lord, the glory of Christ, but not in a way that fades. The veil of Moses' time is no longer necessary. The glory of the risen Christ never fades. There's no longer any need for the veil. Let's hear the promise again. All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This morning we've also heard Luke's account of the transfiguration. Peter, James and John given a glimpse of Christ's glory. Jesus, with the appearance of his face changed, his clothes dazzling white, talking with the giants of the Jewish faith, Moses and Elijah. An unforgettable, unmistakable glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus. But soon the moment of transfiguration was over. It faded from view and Jesus and the disciples returned down the mountain. But now... In post-resurrection times, Jesus' glory never fades. But how and where do we see the glory of God, let alone be transformed into that same image, the image of Christ's glory? If we're faithful to the gospel we proclaim, if we take time to gaze on the never-fading glory of the risen Christ, As we draw close to God in prayer, as we spend time in scripture, as we meet to worship, we will be gradually transformed. I said at the start that this isn't about producing change through our own efforts. God will bring the change to reality. But of course we have a part to play, not least in setting good habits of prayer, of engagement with scripture in meeting to worship. I read something very recently about how the neural pathways in our brain determine our patterns of thinking and behaving, particularly those kind of patterns of habit. As we practice traveling down new ways, we gradually weaken the old pathways. So spending time, especially slow meditative time, regularly with scripture and in prayer, that changes what's going on in our brains and fights against other less helpful messages that the world in general is offering to us. Well, maybe that's a new way 
to understand what we've always known. Quiet time with God will transform us. But I hardly need to tell you this. So often my sermons, as they move into the what are we going to do differently, having thought about this passage of scripture bit, so often the sermons move into pray more, engage with your Bible, learn to love it more, continue to meet together to worship. I can't believe I'm the only preacher who ends up at that point very often in sermons. So why do we find it so hard to put it into practice? Is it to do with how strongly we believe this promise of gradual change so that we become more Christ-like over our lifetime? And if we believe that strongly, does that motivate us to put us into that place that we can call gazing at the glory of Christ, that place of prayer, scripture and worship. Perhaps one encouragement can be found where we see this in others, those who've lived faithful, prayerful lives. They aren't perfect people, but their lives radiate the glory of God. Someone once described to me uh, an elderly bishop who lives in Cambridge as being uh, a man who's prayed so much that he is almost transparent meaning that we can see God through this man. He has been changed from one degree of glory to another through his lifetime. One problem is that many of us want to make change happen in the way that we want it to happen, at the pace we want it to happen, to be in control of the whole process. It's hard to trust God for this transformation. I well remember someone saying to me, picture a seesaw. Uh, On one end, everything is up to God. On the other end, everything is up to Sue Sue Wyatt. At what angle is that seesaw? It was a good challenge to me. I have to trust God, but I also have to play my part, not least in giving time and attention to God gazing at the glory of Christ. It's a delicate balance. Another delicate balance in this process of change is to know ourselves to be accepted by God, and yet at the same time to know God's desire to transform us. The call is to be transformed to be fully the person God has made us to be. We have to let go of the desire to be changed, to become more like someone else, perhaps an imaginary perfect Christian we have in our minds. We need to be confident and realistic about who we are, about our own unique set of gifts and abilities, and to offer these to God. We may need to deal with voices that whisper in our ear, You're not good enough, or even you're hopeless, you'll never be good enough. Or maybe even you're not good enough to know God's transforming work. And we may need to say to those voices, I know you're there, 
but you're not going to have the last word because I know that I am loved by God and that he's made me to reflect his glory, to be his light in the world, and he will complete his work in me. This week, we move into Lent. There's perhaps no better time to commit ourselves in our own way to spending time gazing on the glory of Christ and cooperating with that process of transformation from one degree of glory to another. Paul speaks of us seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. Perhaps it's helpful to have a picture in our mind of looking into a mirror, seeing the reflected glory of God, even if we feel such a reflection to be faint. Maybe we will want to pray for the radiance of that reflection to grow stronger. So what do you see when you look in a mirror? I see a constant reminder that I'm no longer 25 years old. I have to be reminded that I'm looking at a child of God, at a work in progress, being changed little by little by the work of God's spirit within me. And that's what we all see. One of the things I'm going to do for Lent is to put 2 Corinthians 3.18 on a post-it and put it on a mirror at home that I see every day and remind myself of this remarkable promise of transformation from one degree, degree of glory to another. And I hope that will encourage me to draw close to God in prayer each day. I don't have ready-made post-its for you, but you should have a slip of paper with that verse on it. You might like to copy it onto a post-it and put it onto a mirror for Lent. My prayer is that we all know something of the radiance of God's glory and what it is to be transformed, to reflect that glory. And may we know, too, the call to make the glory and the radiance of Christ known to others.